think about what they might have said. Uh, but the, the, the back and forth between the two disciples who borrowed the donkey uh, is not recorded for us in the Gospels. But I, I was just imagining myself in that situation. If I had been one of the disciples, if I had been in that, you know, in, in that situation and that was the mission, that was the assignment that Jesus had given to me, it would have stretched my ability to trust too. That was an awkward assignment. I like how they address the issue of trust. You've heard the phrase trust issues, right? I mean, the the phrase trust issue has worked its way into our uh, common language. But that phrase, uh, it comes from the world of psychology. It comes from the world of counseling and therapy. That's where the origins of that phrase trust issue comes from. So I just want to make this clear right up front as we delve into this issue of trust. I just want you to know that, yes, we are going to talk about, quote, trust issues this morning, but I am not approaching the the subject matter of trust from a perspective of counseling or or psychology. I I had one class in seminary on counseling, one throughout seminary, and uh, here's what I learned in that one class that I had. What I learned was I'm not very good at counseling. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I learned. Uh, and it, it's, the confidentiality part, that's easy. I don't have an, uh, a problem with that. What I have, I think, uh, a problem with when it comes to being in, in that type of ministry, uh, I'm kind of wired, my personality is wired with what I would describe as a suck it up buttercup kind of mentality. That's just the way I'm wired. And it's the way I parent. It's just the way I approach life. And that's not always what people want to hear in a counseling situation, right? And uh, so uh, because of all that, we hired Pastor Jeff, who's been actually trained in, uh, professionally trained in, in counseling. So uh, we have him on staff for that very reason. You got, you got to know your strengths. You got to know your weaknesses. And... Uh, so we're thankful for Pastor Jeff. Now, all that to say that my, my intent this morning is not, not to uh, try to figure out the source of, if you, you know, if you have trust issues, not to try to identify the source and unravel it. Rather, what I want to do this morning is point you to someone whom I believe we can trust. I want to take our trust issues, whatever they might be, whatever yours is, whatever mine are, I want, to, I want us to be able to take our trust issues and take them to someone who actually can help us, who can help us identify sources, who can help us uh, unravel things and give us the strength to overcome them. And sometimes we need professional help. Sometimes we need those who are good at counseling to kind of help point us in the right direction and, and help us search through where these things come from. But ultimately, I absolutely believe that there is someone that we can trust with these issues in our lives that cause us to fear, that cause us anxiety, whatever they might be. Someone who can help us spiritually, emotionally, and give us the strength we need to overcome those kinds of things in life. Now, who am I talking about? I'm talking about Jesus, right? So I do want to take you back to the cross this morning. I want, us to, I want us to lean in one more time together and listen carefully to what Jesus said from the cross 
as he was dying. Would you join me in John chapter 19? In John chapter 19, last week we listened carefully as Jesus said, I am thirsty, I thirst. And I want to jump back into that moment because it was just moments after he said that that he said something else that is profoundly important to us. If you go to John chapter 19, I'm going to jump into verse 28, which is where we were last week. Knowing that all was completed. You might have the phrase uh, that the mission was completed. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty or I thirst. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant. They lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, when he had just a taste, Jesus said this. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So for six hours, Jesus hung on the cross. And he wasn't just enduring the physical torture of being nailed to a cross, the, the intense dehydration and the suffocation that goes along with crucifixion. It was also this, this spiritual and emotional torture of God's wrath being poured out on sin. Jesus became, as a perfect, sinless sacrifice, He became sin for us. He, he took our place to pay off our sin debt. And when that mission was completed, He said, it is finished. Three simple yet incredibly powerful words. It's actually only one word in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written in. It's the word tetelestai. And I have it on your notes. And if you have the written form or you're following along on the digital notes this morning, tetelestai, I, I want us to say that together. All right? It's like this. Te-tel-es-tai. Okay? Tetelestai. You ready? Can you do it? Here we go. Tetelestai. One more time. Tetelestai. I asked my family to practice this over the weekend. I said, guys, I'm going to be uh, teaching the folks uh, a Greek word, tetelestai, uh, and, and I want you to say it. I want you to, I want you to know how to say it. And they're like, telemundo? Teletabi? No, no. It's not, it's not a, it's tetelestai. They couldn't get it. So you guys did a really great job. Now listen, I'm, I'm not a Greek language scholar, and I'm not teaching you a Greek word to try to impress you. I realize that most people don't, don't sit down and, and read their Bible and, and wonder, what is the original Greek word here? I wonder what it might be. I get that. But I do believe that this one, this one's going to matter to you. The word in its original form, tetelestai, means... It has been and for, for, will forever remain unfinished. It has been and will forever remain finished. And that means there is nothing that can unfinish what Jesus finished. I think that the word tetelestai, for a lot of us, quite honestly, is a tension point. 
It's a tension point when it comes to trust. Maybe this is your first time reading the story, and so when you read through this story of Jesus' crucifixion, it doesn't create for you, right off the bat, a a tension point. But I think when we take the time this morning to reflect on what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished, when we we think about it and slow down and, and just process it and think about what he meant, I think even those of us who have heard this story for decades may feel some tension over what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. So when Jesus said, to tell us die, what was he talking about? What is it that was finished? Was it his life? Is that what he was referring to? Was, was it the pain that he was referring to? Well, Jesus was not saying it is finished in the same way that maybe when we sit down to the, the dinner table with our children or our grandchildren and uh, our, our child, our grandchild says, I am finished. And we look down at their plate and clearly they are not. There's still a lot of food on their plate. And so this back and forth begins where we say, listen, I get that broccoli is gross, I understand that, but you still have it on your plate, so actually you are not finished. And then the negotiation starts, right? Back and forth, well, how many bites do I have to eat? And then, you know, if, if you're really kind of set on whatever standards you're trying to set, you might say, listen, you are finished when you eat everything on your plate, There are kids in Africa who are starving right now. Did you ever use that one? By the way, kids, uh, if you're listening to this, the wrong response to that statement is, oh, well, why don't we just mail them the broccoli then? Don't say that. Wrong thing to say. Jesus was not talking about finishing the food on his plate. But we could say that Jesus was talking about finishing what was in his cup. Here's what I mean by that. Would you go to Matthew chapter 26 with me? Would you join me there? Matthew chapter 26. Here's here's the setting you're, you're, you're stepping into. It's after the Last Supper, and and Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he took his disciples, uh, some of his disciples with him, and he asked them to, you know, stay here, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray, and I'm going to go over here. I'm going to step over here, be alone with the Father, and and I'm going to pray. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 is where we're going to jump in. Jesus fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, it's not a literal cup, right? This is a metaphor. This is a, this is a word picture. And we're going to describe it here in just a moment. What's, what's in the cup that he, that he has to drink? 
he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said, could you men not keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the body is weak. And went away a second time and prayed the same thing. Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And back, the disciples were sleeping again, went back a third time, prayed the same thing three times. Lord, if, Father, if it, if it is possible to not have to drink what's in this cup, yet not my will, but your will. The only way to rescue humanity from hell was to drink the cup of sin, the cup of shame, the cup of of suffering that came with the cross. And it's not that this was a surprise to Jesus. Jesus didn't walk into the garden that night shocked that this is what was coming. He knew that this day was going to come. This is why Jesus left heaven. This, this is the mission. But I want you to think about what it required of Jesus to have the courage, to have the strength to drink the whole cup of God's wrath against sin. It required trust. And we see Jesus in His prayer. This is a tension point for Him of having to drink this entire cup, every drop of sin and wrath against it. And yet Jesus comes back to, yet not my will, but yours. I Trust you, Father. Jesus went to the cross and he drank the whole cup. Filled with your sin, filled with my sin. And I want you to imagine the contents of that drink for just a moment. Think about the grossest thing that you could possibly imagine drinking. I hate cough syrup. I hate it. It's disgusting. Whenever I drink cough syrup, it makes me gag. I can't drink. If I have to drink cough syrup, I have to go to a different part of the house and drink it because I don't want to. It's embarrassing. My reaction to drinking cough syrup is embarrassing. But here's the thing about cough syrup. Yeah, it's gross, but it's not poison. It's not going to harm me. What Jesus drank, the sin, it's more in the lines of drinking poison. We're far enough away from lunch, at least I hope so. But I want you to think about having to drink a cup full of rotten deer carcass juice. How's that for graphic? How about uh, skunk spray mixed with sewage? Does that get it for you? I can keep going. You get the point? I mean, I, I, I can do this all morning. Here's why I'm trying to be so graphic. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I, I just really want you to get this point. I, I don't want you to gloss over it, and I don't want you to take it for granted. Uh, I don't want us to walk out of here today without really grasping what's in the cup. And why this was 
why this was so difficult. It's not just, it's not just the pain that was coming that caused Jesus apprehension. It wasn't, it wasn't just the physical part of, of the cross coming that, uh, that was a tension point for him. It's this. It's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, sinless, perfect Jesus, to be sin for us. That's the cup. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right next door, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became a curse for us. He became what he drank. You get the image? Every sin imaginable and unimaginable, past, present, future, the things that you see on the news that turn your stomach and all the stuff we don't see. All of it was in that cup, and it all got mixed together with the wrath of God. And then Jesus drank every drop of it and slammed the cup down and said, It is finished. Those are powerful words. It has been and will forever remain finished to Telestai. And as powerful as those words are, to understand what Jesus did for us and what He actually accomplished, what it meant to finish the mission, for a lot of people, that creates this tension point of trust. Some may hear the words, it is finished, and wonder to themselves, is it? Is it really finished? And it's in this sense. There is no real debate over the, the, the fact that Jesus lived, that He existed, that He died on a cross. You're not going to find, because uh, it's, it's not just in the Gospels that this is recorded. There are, there are many resources outside the record, the eyewitness record of the Gospels. So you're not going to find a legit debate over whether or not Jesus existed. You might be, find people that will say that, and they're not, being, uh, they're not being intellectually honest if they say that. They're not being intellectually honest if they say Jesus never died on the cross. That's foolishness. The tension point is not over uh, whether or not these things happened. The tension point is the, the, uh, of trust is whether or not Jesus' death on the cross really meant anything that impacts our eternal soul. That's where the issue of trust hits us. Jesus said He is God. That's what He claimed about Himself. 
Jesus said that He is the only one who could make us right with the Father. That's what He claimed about Himself. Jesus was willing to suffer and to die to make all of that possible, but we still, you and I, still have to trust Him that He was telling the truth. That He is who He claimed to be and that His sacrifice was enough to satisfy God's wrath against our sin. That's an issue of trust. Now, I think the greatest evidence that Jesus can be trusted is what we're going to celebrate next Sunday, His resurrection from the dead. That's incredible evidence that He is exactly who He claimed to be. But every one of us must make that personal decision whether or not we are going to trust Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And if you haven't yet taken that step of faith, then... then, uh, My encouragement, my challenge to you is to take that step of faith today. Don't wait. On uh, on our website, if you go to our website on the the digital bulletin, there's a button there that says, I'm ready. And it's a simple explanation of the gospel, and there's there's a simple prayer there, like a sample prayer, and then there's a button you can tell us about your decision, your faith decision, and we can help you because we want you to meet Jesus. You see, we have this, we want to be a church that helps people meet Jesus. So we want you to meet Jesus, but we also want to help you know how to follow Jesus. And so we put these systems together for a reason so that you can take these steps of faith and that we can help you live a Jesus-centered life. But it starts with meeting Jesus. And if you haven't yet done that, we pray, we hope that you will. Now, certainly trust in Jesus for salvation from sin, salvation from hell. That is the, the main tension point of the cross. The word to die, it is finished. That this issue of salvation is the main tension point there. But if we were if we were to be honest with each other, for some of us, it's not the only tension point that the cross creates, that, that these words, it is finished, creates. Some of us hear the words it is finished. We hear to tell us die and know that, it's, that it means literally it has been and will forever remain finished. And then we look at our imperfect lives. We look at how hard we, we try at times to follow Jesus. And it's like, like, I try, but I keep falling short. And we sometimes are tempted to wonder, is it really finished? Is what Jesus did for me really something that can never be unfinished? Romans chapter 8. Would you go there with me? Romans chapter 8. Listen carefully to verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just pause. Let that settle onto your mind and your heart. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that... It was weakened by the sinful nature. 
In other words, I, there was nothing I could do to earn my way to God. God did by sending His own Son. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. So God stepped in and did it. Jesus stepped in and did it. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering for us. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live... We can relate to this, can't we? Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. That's what we want to be as believers. We want, as followers of Jesus, we want to live in the power of the Spirit. We want to do the right thing. But then if you read on in verses 5 and, and, and beyond, you see there's, there's this standard that we want to meet, and we keep falling short. Now, there's a description here on how to do it. Keep coming back to the Spirit. Keep relying on the Spirit. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your own strength. Rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. Right? There's instruction in there on how to live a Jesus-centered life. We can't save ourselves uh, because we're not able to, and we don't have the ability to live a perfect life on our own either. We need God. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to do this, to change and so there's some amazing things here about, uh, about how to overcome sin in our lives that are super important. And I want you to go down to verse 28. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the first born among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What in there did you and I do? Uh, what did we do? Nothing. You and I did nothing. Who did everything in that? Jesus. Jesus did everything. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. Jesus did it. What, thou, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I love that passage because it's saying if, if Jesus was willing to do this for us, can we not trust him with everything else? I don't know what the trust issue is that you're struggling with, but if we can trust him with our soul, surely we can trust him with our lives. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us. Again, what, do, what, what are we doing in this? We're not doing anything. Jesus is doing everything. We're simply believing by faith, that he's doing this on our behalf. And then verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to this, verse 38, For I am convinced neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an incredible promise, isn't it? That it really is finished. But what does it require of us to rest in that promise? It requires us to trust in the words, it is finished. It requires us to trust that in Jesus that He's going to keep His promise. I don't know what those two disciples talked about as they were on their way to untie a stranger's donkey. But I do know that it would not have been enough for them to just stand there in a conversation and say, I trust Jesus. Yeah, I trust Jesus. And then not go do what Jesus instructed them to do. That would not have been enough. For their trust in Jesus to be genuine, for their trust in Jesus to be authentic, it required of them to obey Jesus. You see the connection? I'll put it in these terms, and I don't want you to miss it. You cannot say that you, entr- that you trust the integrity of a chair if you are afraid to sit in it. You cannot say that you trust in the promise of a daddy who is standing in a swimming pool saying, jump, I'll catch you, if you won't jump. And we cannot say that we truly trust Jesus if we are not willing or interested in obeying Him. Making the choice to obey Jesus in everything, everything that He taught, uh, following His example, uh, the, the instructions within the Word of God, all of that obedience is an expression of our trust in Jesus. I'll give you an example that I think is somewhat timely. If you go to Luke chapter 22, would you look there with me? Luke 22. Go to verse 14. So they had this Passover supper set up and in this upper room, this is what we call the Last Supper. You've seen those paintings, the Last Supper, that's, that's what this is. And the hour came in verse 14, Jesus and His disciples and apostles reclined at the table. And He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking... The cup he gave thanks. He said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the language there, the the, the command, do this, is is not just for this one moment. This is a continuation. This is continue to do this. Continue to do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Tonight, 
is our spring communion service at 6 o'clock tonight. And here's, here's a challenging question for you if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. My question is, will you trust Jesus enough to obey Him? If you're new to Grace Fellowship, just understand that communion is for every believer. It's it, whether you are a new believer, whether you are a seasoned believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, will you trust Jesus enough to obey Him? you don't know what we do at our communion service, I would encourage you to go on our website, watch, those, watch that video that we have. There is some brochures, uh, communion brochure back by the front door if that's helpful. Communion, uh, those of you who have participated in our communion service, it's a blessing. Well, just shake your head if you believe that that's true. Those of you in the room who have participated in communion, yes, it's a, it's a blessing. It's an incredibly beautiful and meaningful service, and it is a blessing to be a part of. You will be blessed. But the main motivating reason that followers of Christ should participate in communion is not so that I can come and just receive a blessing. You will. But the main motivating reason is because Jesus told us to. And trust is expressed in obedience. If we say we trust Jesus as our forgiver of sin, we trust Jesus as our Savior from hell, then we should obey Him as our Lord. Otherwise, could we just say it this way? Otherwise, we have some trust issues. If we are unwilling or uninterested in obeying Jesus, it is finished to telestai. It has been and will forever remain finished. There is nothing that can unfinish what Jesus finished. So listen, I don't know what trust issue you may struggle with, and I don't know what the source of those issues may be. But here's what I do know. I do know that you and I, we can trust Jesus. I absolutely know that to be true. We can trust Him to forgive us of our sin. We can trust Him to rescue our soul from hell. And we can trust Him. If we can trust Him with that, then we can trust Him to lead us through life and give us all the emotional and spiritual strength that we need to overcome those issues in our lives that hold us back, that, that want to capture us with fear. Whatever their sources may be, how, how can you be so confident that Jesus has the power to overcome my trust issues. Well, come back next week. Come back next week for our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I'm going to say this to you. If Jesus can overcome death, surely He has the power to help you and I overcome whatever fear or anxiety or trust issue that you and I may be struggling with. Surely He has the power to do that. To tell us die. Say it one more time. To tell us die. It is finished.